If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be left hanging, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to why is ending on cliffhangers absolutely necessary for every game of D&D? And how do we plan them so players are desperate for that next game? And what can we borrow from some of the greatest serial TV shows for game prep? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So some of the greatest cliffhangers from movies that stick with you. Mm. I'd say one of my all-time favorites is the end of Kill Bill Volume 1. What happens again? Well, throughout the entire three-hour epic movie that we've been watching, the bride, Uma Thurman, has been on a killing spree because they left her for dead and killed her child after she revealed that, hey, Bill, it's your baby, just as she, before she was shot. Except the end of the film, because it's implied in the title that it's Kill Billy Volume 1, since they knew they could pay that off, it ends with, hey, does she know that her child is still alive? And that was an excruciating year or two that we waited for the next episode. Yeah, man, she had a rough time. Yeah, that was that was tough. What's, uh, what's your favorite? Well, one of the classic movies for me is the Back to the Future series. And the end of the second movie did a really fantastic cliffhanger. We had... Doc Brown in the sky, rolling around in the DeLorean, and it gets zapped by lightning <laughs> and sends him careening through time. We don't know what happened to him. And then Marty figures out real quick that he's back in 1885. Well, at first glance, we thought he was dead. Yeah, for sure, for I sure. I mean, he was hit by a, <laughs> a lightning bolt. Lightning bolts don't usually send people through time. <laughs> I think. Have you tried? No. But that's not what this episode's about. <laughs> this episode's about cliffhangers. So cliffhangers are that unresolved situation that creates curiosity. And what we want to do with this episode is we want to arm you with the ability to keep your players coming back for more and to leave them completely agog with holy shittery. <laughs> Guessing what's going to happen next. My God, we need to keep playing until the wee hours of the morning. Yeah. And they're so powerful because they cause that story to stick with us psychologically. When you don't provide the resolution to something, it creates the Zygarnik effect, which, <laughs> you <Gesundheit>. know. <laughs> well, I'll explain. Bloom and Zygarnik figured this out in the 1920s, that humans desperately crave closure, even with stuff that she was experimenting with, like puzzles and riddles. Like, if they don't finish a simple task, it'll stick in their mind forever. Hmm. Interesting. So that's what we're doing with these D&D games. When we interrupt that action in D&D, whatever it is, they're going to more readily recall it next time. That's a that's a really good point because some of the biggest problems that I deal with as a DM is, well, one of the ones that really still sticks with me and haunts me to this day is the amount of work I put into a session when one of my players, instead of coming to the game, decided that they were just going to pick up a ticket for Venom. 
<laughs> which we all know how that one turned out. Venom only premieres once in a lifetime. Oh yes, I know, right? <laughs> that that definitely had you had to be there for the very first night because you wouldn't be able to catch it the second night. Yeah, and it was a shit movie, anyways. <laughs> I got dumped. I got stood up for a shit movie with Tom Hardy being a bad boy. <laughs> Sorry if you're a Venom fan. <laughs> However, Jordan and I did not necessarily think that that was the cream of the crop. Yes. It was It was pretty low on the crop scale as far as the movies go. <laughs> it was a stinky crop. <laughs> and when you do get people sitting down for that next session, they get into the place so much faster because they know where they're at. They have that final detail that they've been thinking about all week. And that kind of just like sparks the rest of their memory around it. It's kind of like a mnemonic device. If you can remember the first piece, then the rest will follow because your brain will just recall that. So if you end on a holy shit moment, all you have to do is remember the holy shit moment and then the quest and the NPCs and all of that other stuff comes rushing back. The bad folks, yeah, like what exactly was happening. Whereas the opposite of that is when you just kind of end on a mellow moment. And they come back to the table saying, where were we at a creek in a castle? Yeah, like, I don't remember what we were doing. How much gold did you have? Where were we going? Was I buying shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and finally, cliffhangers give players time to imagine all of the possibilities that could come to pass, good and bad. Because if you describe something happening super quickly and just resolve it right away, you don't even give time for that imagination. This is one of those kind of earlier lessons that I think every DM has to learn is to draw out the inevitable. Like if I'm about to hit you, that's a super simple version of a cliffhanger. You know, he raises his club, the muscles tense in his arm and you take 24 damage. Not bad. Okay, got it. Versus he raises his club. You see the muscles tense in his arm. A hateful scowl crosses his face. You know he means business. Uh-oh. The club come sailing through the air at your face. Yeah, you you it hits. You take 24 damage. <laughs> but it gave a little more time for you to speculate as to what that was going to be like. Yeah. And you hadn't confirmed a hit. There was still this world of possibility until you confirmed the hit. Yeah. And so all we're doing is we're extrapolating the same kind of idea to a session level. And... I mean, you could even go further than that. We can talk micro, which is, you know, those those kind of combat encounters or just the resolution of what's happening. And then we can expand it a little bit more to a full session. Or we can go even further than that and talk about story arc cliffhangers and go to that macro scale. And so there's multiple types of cliffhangers we could talk about, but some of them we won't just because they don't work well in D&D. Unless you're doing like a a one-shot or something that you don't intend to ever follow up. And that's one of the things that I think jumps to people's mind is some of the greatest cliffhangers ever were in movies like Inception. Yeah. Where you don't know what the end means. It's a great cliffhanger, but it just doesn't work well in D&D. &D because if we were to pick up the movie of Inception and resolve that, you're <laughs> going to ruin it. Yeah, absolutely. Same with movies like The Thing, where you just don't know what's going to happen to them out there in Antarctica. Yeah, or if the aliens still exist. If we pick that story back up, we've shat all <laughs> over the wonderful storytelling that we've been doing up until that point. What we're talking about 
is the resolved cliffhangers, the ones that we intend to follow up, much like the ones that we were talking about with Kill Bill and Back to the Future. They knew that there was another session coming after that. They knew that there was a volume two, that there was a Back to the Future three. And the way to do these that's easy to replicate and still satisfying, you can be as creative as you like, is the ones that introduce a threat of some sort. And that's the one we're going to be talking about in today's episode, where we're going to create kind of a system that's going to allow you to use those really well. And one thing that does tend to pop to people's mind when we start to think about cliffhangers is plot twists. And plot twists are a little bit different because they're really a storytelling device that often is used as that cliffhanger. And that's great, but they take a lot more work to make sure that they pay off and they pay off well. So what we're going to focus on today is just that killer, succinct little package of introducing a threat that's going to lead to a killer cliffhanger. And we're going to do that in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So there's four steps to creating a grand cliffhanger for your game. The first is to decide what cliffhanger you're going to use. The second is to build some tension. The third is the big reveal. And the fourth is to drop the bomb. Okay, so I don't think we get the full scope of what all that means. So let's dive a little bit deeper into each one of those steps. Nah, I think we're good. (laughs) Yeah, let's just cut it there. (laughs) Job done. You're happy, right? Yeah. No, but before we do actually get into all of those pieces, one of the big things that helped me to really wrap my mind around a concept and really kind of get into it is to visualize it. And in order to deliver great cliffhangers, I think we have to take a step back and really look at the structure of our games. So imagine your entire session taking place like a wave. So your cliffhanger is going to be that moment the split second before the wave crashes. These final moments will be the combats and the intense negotiations and when you're up to your neck in a quicksand made of mashed peas. Imagine if you could just stop a moment in time, freeze that moment before the wave crashes. That's where our session ends. And what that means is that the start of your next session is resolving all of the ruckus created by that wave. That's all of that crashing and the roiling until the wave calms down and it loses that momentum kind of mid-game where it kind of washes up onto the shore. You can do some shopping or foraging or, you know, gentle, peaceful negotiations. We resolve everything that came before that and now it's the lull and all of that water starts rushing back out to sea Everything is kind of calm. The players are at ease. They're feeling empowered. So that's generally like the tone that you're having in the middle of most of those sessions. You're, you're waiting now because as all of that water washes out and as your players are just enjoying the kind of lull, this is the majority of the role play. Like all of that's happening right now. But while they're doing that, 
you as the DM are building up all of that momentum again into another wave. In the background at first, nobody's even aware that it's there other than some subtle details. And you're peppering those in as you're going throughout the game, knowing that you are building towards this next crash. The bad guy starts in the distance, chewing on a carrot, staring at you right in the eyes, and he gets closer and closer. Wow, that is so oddly specific. <laughs> it's a visualization technique. I <laughs> Sure, we'll get into what the carrot and the bad guy in the distance means later. The point is, is that you're not going to use the crashes in the middle of your session. You're never going to necessarily do any big reveals in the middle because you're always saving those for the end of your session because that's when the crash happens. Unless you're doing it very specifically to throw your characters off because we all know that sometimes waves go a little off kilter and you get used to a rhythm and then it's pretty exciting and pretty wild when something catches you off guard. Once you've done a few really good waves, like three sessions in, they're getting used to that. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the fourth session, something crazy happens. Every seventh wave is the biggest of those waves. And sometimes you get a a wave coming in at a different angle. And that's when things start to get really exciting. Before we get too deep into this analogy, there's one more point that I really want to drive home. If this wave analogy sounds really formulaic, okay, so I'm just saving the grand reveal to the end My players are going to get used to that. That sounds boring. It sounds so by the numbers. You can do any creative thing within a wave that you want. If you ever experienced a TV show that had you keep coming back for more, guaranteed, if you look underneath there, there are story beats that repeat themselves time and time and time again. But did you ever get bored listening to that? Because they laid some amazing characters and some amazing stories on top of that formula. Exactly. So we can reuse these formulas and they become reliable and wonderful and enjoyable rather than boring. All right. So that's plenty of soapboxing, I think. We're done. We're done. Let's move on to the actual, the meat, which starts with choosing your cliffhanger. So we already mentioned that the cliffhangers we're talking about are very simple. You're just threatening something that the players care about. And that can take a lot of forms because I know that doesn't really help me (laughs) that much. Just threat. Yeah. So the things that you can threaten range from beliefs. And this doesn't just have to be like religious or spiritual beliefs. It can be as simple as, I believe my brother is dead. Easy. And then the cliffhangers that I find a clue that suggests otherwise. I'm right here. (laughs) That should be a great suggestion. I think you're probably a ghost, like in uh, Sixth Sense. (laughs) I still have unfinished business, and it's to whoop your ass. (laughs) I guess that makes me a ghost, actually. (laughs) Well, you're exactly right, though. Beliefs are just, this is what I believe to be true. And being able to undercut those and prove them wrong as a cliffhanger, like, that's a great threat. You can threaten people. This is one that's really easy to fall back on because they've always got some kind of an ally or an NPC or a beloved pet. And no, I'm not suggesting you kill the pet, you monster. (laughs) (laughs) Just threaten it. They're going after my pet. But no, this is why the lone wolf archetype is so painful for DMs. 
Now, this is not an endorsement if you're a player to stop making NPCs that you care about. No, this is so that the DM can use them and to really keep you on the edge and having fun and invested in the story because NPCs and loved ones in the world of D&D are only there to really make sure that we stay invested. So this is where they get used. And you notice how the superheroes that are always on that side of it, like I don't get close to anyone. You notice how they always get close to someone and that's what makes <laughs> the stories dramatic? Yes. Batman wouldn't be good if he actually never met anybody that he cared about. Yes. You can threaten their goals and this one's pretty broad, but there's a lot you can do with it. Yeah, I mean with goals, like you said, it can be pretty broad, but basically whatever the party is trying to do, there are some great examples of TV shows and stories that threaten at the end of every chapter or every episode, there's always a complication to their plan. And they let you, the audience, in on that. And that's what we're doing with our players now. So, for example, there's an army marching towards a city where your party is probably going to do a heist or overthrow somebody. And now all of a sudden, there's a complication of it might be a war zone. Yeah, that's a huge threat to anything they were attempting to accomplish there. And it's not a dead stop. It's just, here's an extra complication, and I'm going to dangle that over you before the next session so that you're thinking about that all the way through. And it can be really simple, too. Like, this can be down to a single session. Like, if the characters are simply trying to pick some potatoes, you could throw a, a wolf in the end. What? Potatoes and wolves? If the characters are trying to pick potatoes for okay. a group of uh, NPCs that need potatoes, then your cliffhanger could be that some monster comes in to try and stop them. I'm just saying there's really right. narrow okay. examples. <laughs> Boy, some of those are just coming out of left field, and I'm not sure what they're based on. <laughs> I feel like there's a joke that I should get or some reference, but there isn't. It's just your wild brain creating things out of nothing. I guess that's why you're a great D&D player. Hey, thanks. Not a great podcaster, maybe sometimes when it's too confusing to follow. But anyways, <laughs> moving on, you can threaten the party's wants. This is those like personal character desires that you can really narrow down into individual characters and throw something in at the end of the session that threatens it. Like we've talked once about one of my characters wanting, you know, more stuff for his house. It's a pretty simple want, and it's really easy to threaten. Yeah, and that's why we keep those little things around as players, is we want to give our DMs things to threaten to up the stakes. So exactly, every time I can dangle some weird trinket that your character wants to add to his collection. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be things of value. That's the wonderful thing about your character and his wants is that he just wants to collect stuff. He's a bit of a hoarder. Yeah. And all I have to do is threaten that stuff. It's often been spoiled foods. <laughs> he collects cheese. He <laughs> collects broccoli, whatever. And his cart is now surrounded by goblins. And that's where we end the session. Because that's going to threaten what you want. Yeah. your stuff. They've all got torches and they just want to burn shit. Which leads to items. Yes, it's separate from wants. Because wants don't have to be about their items. <laughs> And this is really easy, too, because a lot of those classic adventures center around going after magic stuff. Yeah. All you got to do is threaten that magic stuff they're after. And this doesn't even have to be a direct threat. This can be an implied threat. Like, the 
players just before finding the loot in the treasure room of some ancient temple find a note or an inscription that says, should any outsider touch the item, it will crumble to dust. It's just a prophecy. It might not even be true. But that's a great cliffhanger to leave on because, oh shit, Oh no! what are we going to do? The whole point of coming here. Yeah. You can threaten their physical well-being. This translates to D&D so well. I mean, we're talking about hit points. Everyone's always trying to protect their hit points. And if you happen to be ending in the middle of a combat and you really can't avoid that, one of the best things you can do there as a cliffhanger is just have one of the heaviest hits from an enemy cut off before you resolve it. Ooh. Like a dragon's fiery blast hitting a few of the characters and you just don't tell them what happened. They're standing in direct line of sight from the dragon. And the dragon takes a deep breath and its chest billows and its lungs fill with whatever comes out. And (laughs) that's it. That's where you stop. And it's a great option for a cliffhanger. And if you roll it back from there, you can also have the cliffhanger at the very start of that combat. Because combat, like when you start it, it's one of the most exciting parts of the session. It's like, okay, here we go. And cliffhanger. And I think this is a good one to remind ourselves of because too much combat can really drag games on. And even when you're in the middle of combat, it's really challenging because as a DM, maybe I misjudged how much time I have. Yeah. And I can start to feel the energy start to wane throughout my game. It's now creeping up on 945. We're going to end at 11. Should I get into this combat? Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. Ah, screw it, we're going to do it. And then something complicates that, and it drags that combat out way longer than I expected. And now, do I try to drag my entire party on until the wee hours of the night? Do I try and end it too quick so that it feels obvious that I just ended it? But again, with the last example, all I have to do to end this session on a high note is attack one of the players with something that is a sure thing to kill or maim or hurt, but I just don't resolve what happens. And that still leaves a world of possibilities. Especially if it's an ability that the players didn't even know an enemy had yet. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Anyways, the point is, is that there are so many different ways that we can leave on a cliffhanger, but really what it all boils down to is what do the players care about in this moment And how do I threaten that? And at the start, it's a lot easier to plan this out before your session begins if you can. But as you use it more and more, it's a skill that you'll develop. And a half hour or an hour before the session's ending, you'll be able to start thinking of what the best cliffhanger is going to be and build towards it from there. And that moves so well into our next step, which is build tension. So yes, we can absolutely throw in a cliffhanger that ends just abruptly and it throws a little bit of, oh my goodness, what a cliffhanger. Didn't see that coming. But if we really want to drop jaws and we really want people to be hanging on the edge of their seat until the week after, we have to add some little bits in there to start to build tension towards our eventual cliffhanger. Being able to plan things out is always going to pay off better than just kind of randomly in the moment. Building up the energy behind that wave. And so this can be done on a few different scales. Like you kind of alluded to, you can do this within a single encounter. 
we can start to build tension in one session at the beginning, and we're going to pay it off at the end. That doesn't take a ton of planning, but it takes a little bit of forethought. Yeah, totally. You can't just wait until the very last minute. Or you can make it a lot grander and build up that tension over an entire story arc or even a campaign. Yeah. And that's that like seventh wave. That's that big payoff. Yeah. You can be throwing in little cliffhangers at the end of every session and then working up with proper planning to that big arc scale. So Jordan and I have prepared a couple of examples to take us through the building tension and the rest of the steps. So what's uh, what's your example? Well, I'm doing the small scale. So I thought we could just threaten an item over the course of a rather small dungeon crawl. So let's say the party's going to fight a bugbear that's got a handful of goblins under their control. The bugbear has a sweet gauntlet. Maybe the party's heard about it from the victims of the bugbear. And let's have the cliffhanger be a moment where the gauntlet flies off of the bugbear's hand and bounces onto a rickety bridge that's hanging over a bottomless chasm. Because, of course, the goblins build bridges in (laughs) terrible places. (laughs) Cool. Well, my example is taking place on the whole story arc scale. So on several sessions, I'm going to threaten their goals. So I'm going to run a game where the party is planning a citywide heist of a royal kingdom leader's precious item. And they're going to be talking to NPCs and scoping the scene and trying to plan this really elaborate heist. And I want it to end on one hell of a cliffhanger with everyone going, oh my God, how are we going to do that? Nice. Epic. So for both of these, we want to create three major tension building details and put them in before we get there. And we want the threat to get bigger and bigger as that tension builds so that when you finally get there, it's as grand as you can make it and the players are on the edge of their seats. Absolutely. A consideration here, though, is, well, with my love of visuals, imagine your story takes place on a 0 to 10 scale. We're going to use some of these little details that hint at a big cliffhanger at the end On that 1 to 10 scale, we're going to insert them at the 3, 5, and 7 marks so that we can pay off our cliffhanger at 9. Where everyone's just waiting for 10, but you don't give them 10. And they kind of ramp up like that, too. Like, they're they're meant to get more and more intense as you go on through the session. So what have you got for your tension building? Well, I thought we could build up the desire for this gauntlet by having evidence of its power in the world. So if the party is coming up to the opening of this cave, maybe it's been molded into the exact doorway that this bugbear wants by them just punching the shit out of it with this magical gauntlet. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Huge like fist marks in the opening of the door. Yeah. And the party can be like, oh, that's uh, metal and it's even got the... the knuckles of the gauntlet in it (laughs) and the gauntlet on both knuckles says hit ya with way too many exclamation marks i don't care about (laughs) how many letters it is (laughs) it was goblin formed and they they didn't really think through like knuckle tats yeah and how you need just the right letters (laughs) (laughs) then the second detail we can build up the fact that every goblin in that cave wants it maybe written on the wall is who holds the gauntlet holds the clan oh nice And it's got a poorly scrawled image of a goblinoid wielding the gauntlet. You know, hand over head, Conan kind of pose. Nice. (laughs) 
Yeah, like the scrolling on the wall is from like a couple of specific goblins that have been like plotting to steal it for years. Yeah, getting more people behind their cause. And finally, when we're actually face to face with a bugbear, we could have one of those goblins sneaking up and trying to steal it, followed by the bugbear noticing and smashing that goblin away, sailing them over the chasm and onto the bridge. A show of that power. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And then maybe the goblin tears a couple of ropes loose in their flight as they're falling into that chasm. <laughs> nice. That's going to make it even more precarious. And already I can see that as a player, I'm going to be that much more like, oh shit, when that gauntlet ends up on that bridge. And I will be the first to admit that these are not original ideas, but I think the point is if you put them together in the right order, they actually still create some tension and some fun. Oh, they play off great. Yeah. All right, so my plan is because my players have been working towards putting together this perfect heist plan, and if your group is anything like some of the groups that Jordan and I have DM'd, they will spend an inordinate amount of time <laughs> immaculately planning every detail of this heist. We're going in through the grates. We're going to give the guard a, a pineapple to get him off our case. <laughs> There's, yeah, and, and to do that, they had to talk to the guard's family member to learn that they liked pineapple. And they did all of this research and they dug through their garbage. Like, it's insane <laughs> the amount of work that some players will go to to detail a plan so that it doesn't go off without a hitch. But of course, the irony is, is that it always will because it's not fun <laughs> if it goes exactly to plan. Yeah. And that's all I'm trying to do with this one, because what I want to do is I want their whole heist to be complicated, like my example earlier, by a war. So if there is chaos happening around them while they are trying to pull off this heist, great. So the first thing I'm going to do is early on in one of the sessions, as they're kind of going around town and picking up on all of these little details to make their heist work, I'm going to have a merchant that they're buying some goods off of, compare her honorable and fair practices to the terrible, shitty diplomacy of the local king. Not only so that they feel good about robbing this diplomat, but that they also know he's antagonistic and two-faced. And I'll yeah. tell you why here in just a second. So the next step is to have the town crier talk about, you know, say something like diplomatic meetings between King Maldorian and the Elven Empire are reportedly not going well. So all I'm trying to do here is paint that king as botching some kind of really important conversations. Okay. So that eventually the next step is in another session, I can have a traveler coming in from out of town say that they saw 50 ships off the coast. It looks like an invasion force. Oh, geez. And now the players are starting to, uh-oh, are our plans really going to be as solid as we think they are? <laughs> what if there's a war? The heist has got to happen in two hours. Yeah. And then that brings us to the big reveal. You're finally now at the point where you're going to reveal the actual threat. And to be clear, this is not necessarily the cliffhanger. This is just the threat. Right. This is building up that final piece of tension as much as you can. Pull the dramas out of your bones, people. <laughs> this is it. You want to use a, a lot of sensory details in the description so that you can slow the scene down. And doing this is going to make it clear that something terrible and huge is about to drop. You're using dramatic pauses and your intense 
narration voice. <laughs> yeah, summon your best trailer voice. Yeah, you're throwing in all of that dramatic flair because we are now moments away from calling the end of the session. If you got music, this is where you, you throw it in. If you've got dun, 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 dun. anything that you can use is going to help here. So what's your big reveal? How do you let this gauntlet fly into a precarious situation? Well, I think after the start of the combat, I can just wait for a solid hit from any of the characters. Yeah. Especially, like, maybe if I want to highlight a character that hasn't done too much up to this point, I can just take one of their attacks and put this flavor on it. Yeah. You throw a little extra stank on a particular description and you have exactly what you need to kick this off. Which, the way I would resolve that attack would be, the gauntlet flies off of the bugbear's hand. Their eyes go wide as they scramble to recover it as it's sailing through the air. It bounces on the top of a goblin's head, and that goblin lets out a tiny shriek of surprise and disbelief. All eyes are on the gauntlet as it's tumbling through the air, and it bounces once off of the edge of the chasm. A collective goblin shriek. It's sailing freely through the air. And what I noticed with that, bravo, by the way, very thespian. <laughs> What I noticed with that, you were reading off of a pre-made script. You were planning this, and that's the power of using these cliffhangers and really leading into that, is that it means if you're a DM that isn't particularly comfortable with coming up with this really dramatic stuff on the fly, that as long as you are able to start to plan some of where you want to end your session, it means that you have time to write this stuff down. And I hardly think that that's an example of, you know, extreme railroading because I can hear myself protesting already. <laughs> but it's like, you know that they're going to fight the bugbear. That's not a crazy leap. No. The chances that an adventuring party is going to get to the final boss and then somehow find diplomacy in their hearts <laughs> against a bugbear is like of things to gamble on. That's one that I feel is a pretty safe bet. And of course, as in all cases, ride with that diplomacy if it does happen. <laughs> so what do you have? Well, I think I'm going to end this session with my big reveal of the party is, you know, they've got that moment just before the heist. It's time for it to go down. And I can again do this whenever it's time for it to go down. But you know you that, that scene where you've got the five standing shoulder to shoulder in front of the big royal palace and the sun is going down and I can really jam that up. But that's that like team moment. Yeah. Well, in that moment, you hear the sound of war horns and bells in the town. War has arrived and you can hear the clanking of armor outside the city walls. Maybe I can even pepper in some guards running through the city streets and people screaming like this is happening right now yeah that's absolutely. gonna be my big reveal so that brings us to drop the bomb which is that final point that you're going to end on it's the actual reveal of the cliffhanger it makes the threat as real and present as you can but still full of options for the players and for yourself at the start of the next session you don't want to close any options off yeah if you resolve any dice rolls at this point that's a huge mistake because you want the players to be full of questions that are completely unanswered at this point. It's the difference between describing a club coming down at your head and describing a club hitting your head. 
It's kind of like Schrodinger's cat. There is a world <laughs> of possibilities before you confirm it. But as long as you don't confirm it, yeah. those possibilities are still on the table. That's perfect. Yeah. So there's dodges. There's other arrows coming in from elsewhere. There's all kinds of possibilities of how we could possibly resolve that club hit that don't result in any particular damage, but they're still going to be leaving us on such a cliffhanger before the end of that session. And so then at that point, you want to cut things off immediately without mercy and slam that Dungeon Master's Guide closed. (laughs) Yeah, definitely uh, end it on a bang. Yeah. This is another cool kind of psychological effect of marking memories with noises. Oh. You can actually get people to remember stuff if you throw in uh, a big clap or a book slam because that kind of shock jolts us and that cements it immediately into our memory. A loud belch, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Try a loud belch. (laughs) And after that loud noise, when the players have that final request, which they will, of like, can I just do one more thing? One more thing. I just want to cast one spell. You have to trust us on this. The best thing you can do is a hard stop. Don't give in no matter what. Socially, you feel like you have to. There's going to be shocked, betrayed looks. Every single player at that table is thinking, oh, there's one last thing that I was just thinking about doing, and I'm going to try and sneak it in before the end of the session. But not letting them do that plays right into that Zygarnik effect that we were talking about. They can't resolve it, and they need to. If they can't resolve it, they're going to be thinking about what they need to do and the threat that looms in front of them until the moment they sit down one week later to play the next game of D&D. Yeah, so... For my gauntlet example, a single finger of the gauntlet gets caught on a rope of the bridge, and the goblins erupt in a greedy wailing. Ooh, nice. So you've got so many options for what happens in the next session. I love the I love the finger hanging onto the rope, and we've already established <laughs> that the rope bridge is half destroyed and precarious anyways. Yeah, and describe the gauntlet like twirling with the rope around it. So it's like, if it twirls back the other way, then it's just going (laughs) to fall. (laughs) Oh, you're evil. That's very good. My drop the bomb is one of the towers in front of the royal palace that they're just literally standing in front of. And again, I want want that like team as the... Slow motion walking. Yeah, the the (laughs) slow motion walking. They were getting ready. Like they were, this was the prep. It was about to kick off and the sun is setting and all of those those nice things, but now there's chaos everywhere and they're all just totally on their back foot. Like they have no clue. Should we do it? Should we not do it? Should we call off the heist? Holy shit. A bunch of the guardsmen just like left the palace to go and fight on the front lines or to defend the gate. Yeah. Does that make it easier or harder? I don't know. I want those players to be just in a world of confusion. Yeah. And with that moment, I'm going to describe one of the towers in the royal palace exploding as one of the trebuchet flaming balls hits it and sends rocks and debris and that entire tower coming down practically right on their heads. Yes. And like I can describe that the massive rock wall that is basically going to crush them at the beginning of the next session. Maybe even a double cliffhanger and you've got an innocent townsperson staring up at a rock that's coming Ooh, in. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, I want those bricks. I want, ah, I just want dread to be left on their minds for a whole week. So satisfying. I think that's all we have 
on cliffhangers right now. And if that helped, tell us about your best cliffhanger. Like, tell us about the time that you got your players there. And I would be really curious if you worked it backwards and tried to remember all of the steps that it took you to get there. Were these steps involved? Yeah. Was it at a left field or did you actually plan up to that great one? So yes, tell us about your best cliffhangers. And now we're going to go over to Timora's Tavern and play a weird game. Welcome to Timora's Tavern, where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all. All right, so we're going to have a little fun with this. We want you to participate with us. So Jordan and I are going to make two balanced... <laughs> this is going to get weird. This is getting weird. Okay. Two balanced parties. We need a frontline fighter, a caster, and a support class. So what we're going to do is we're going to pit our two parties against one another, and you get to decide which one comes out on top. <laughs> and what we're doing for each one of the party members, and here's the twist, is we're electing our favorite TV shows that had the best cliffhangers of all. So you're essentially voting for our TV show teams <laughs> <laughs> against one another. So which one comes out on top? So if my frontline fighter, and I'm going in with my heavy hitter, Breaking Bad. Oh, so many good moments. If you want to study great cliffhangers, this one, I, don't know, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you need to. Yeah. From heads on turtles and all kinds of... I've never seen Danny Trejo uh, killed in such a glorious, horrifying way. But this one had me needing to watch the next episode. There's so many times where you just... Your gut sinks and you sweat a little because you don't know how this can get any worse in this show. Yeah. And that's that's why it's my frontline fighter. My caster, more cerebral... <laughs> would be Fargo. Hmm. Fargo every season, even though they're all completely different, is so good at leaving you wanting. Like these are my total binge-worthy shows. And it's weird because they don't necessarily do cliffhangers in the traditional sense. Often it's just a building tension that absolutely must be released with watching the next episode. You will not sleep okay unless you know what happens next. And that show breaks the mold of the formula quite often just to shake you up and keep like, you can't guess what's going to happen on that show. <laughs> I guarantee it. And then finally, my support class is we're going with something a little bit more traditional, a little bit more in line with what you would expect a typical cliffhanger type show to be with Dexter. We spent many late nights binge watching Dexter. The serial killer with the heart of gold? I don't I don't know who you were supposed to root for. It just made me feel icky all the way through. The serial killer, you don't want to get caught. But a great example of a great cliffhanger in this one, and again, an awesome example of what we're talking about in this episode, is a particular one that comes to mind was when Dexter was getting married. And not only was Dexter dealing with something major, because that's pretty much the whole thing of the show was how he's keeping it calm on the surface while dealing with some pretty intense shit in the background. But while he was dealing with intense shit in the background, the surface level stuff was suggesting that one of his friends was going to put on a bachelor party. 
and there was little hints all the way through it. So when Dexter was thrown inside a trunk at the very end of the episode, you thought for sure that his heavy shit had come a-calling. Yeah, and that it was all over for old Dexter. Only to find out at the very beginning of the next episode, it was his friends throwing him a bachelor party. And it's such a perfect example of that wave crashing only to have something calm come out the other side. Yeah. And then you just deal with that and then it'll, it'll build for the end of the next episode. I think you can totally use a concept like that in your game where you build the tension, you give the cliffhanger, and then it's kind of like a, a red herring a false alarm at the start of the next session. That can be really fun to just like let them breathe right after you do that. <laughs> you just can't do it too often. Otherwise, they'll see it coming a mile away. Well, and you start to get into that rhythm. You know that the next cliffhanger is going to be kind of hollow. Yeah. So every once in a while, you do have to just shake it up. Don't let it always be the same kind of cliffhanger. But anyways, solid team. Yep. So what's yours? Well, on my front line, and I don't think this can be beat because of all the giants and powerful forces. Oh, no. We're talking about Game of Thrones. So that's your frontline fighter. That's your heavy hitter. And despite people's feelings about the ending, there were some amazing episodes and cliffhangers throughout that series. Fair enough. One of the ones that's a grander cliffhanger that got me to my core was the season seven finale. So they'd been leading up to White Walkers since the very start. Since the first scene in episode one, there's this looming threat of White Walkers. Yeah. And finally, they bust through the wall. The one thing that was going to protect the rest of the world. Like that was the saving grace. It was the final thing that could go wrong. And it went wrong. I think just then you knew that the series was headed for some serious shit. Yeah. It's just... Too bad that the end kind of <laughs> fizzled. We're moving on. We're not talking about that. All right. So what's your what's your caster class? My caster is the smartest as it gets. And also very funny because we're talking <laughs> Silicon Valley. Oh, shit. That's one of my favorites. And I just can't forget how many times they would whip a cliffhanger in there. At the end of almost every episode, they got you with a cliffhanger. And it's usually around threats to their goals because their ongoing goal is building up their business and everything's riding on it. And every time they just throw something in that's like, holy shit, what's going to happen to the business? And it's a perfect example of continued mounting pressure. Because if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the season, yeah, there'd be some fun little cliffhangers. You go like, uh-oh, what's going to happen next? And then throughout the season... Each subsequent cliffhanger got more and more and more intense as the season led up to the season finale. Yeah. Going back to the earlier point of formulaic isn't bad. You knew that's how the show worked. You knew that's how Silicon Valley worked <laughs> by, say, the second season. So was I ever disappointed throughout that entire series of the next cliffhanger? Absolutely heckin' no. It worked every fucking time. <laughs> And just because I love it, one of the moments in which they didn't threaten the company, but a cliffhanger that was incredible, was when one of the characters got shipped away to an island that only has self-automated machines on it <laughs> in a malfunctioning self-driving car. Oh, poor Jared. Yeah, so good. All right, and then finally your support class. One of the most D&D-centric &D shows to come out in a long time. 
Stranger Things. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's a great choice. Oh, and it's, you know, we've talked about it plenty, but love those horror shows. And I mean, you've got cliffhangers like in the end of one episode when the main character's mom sees a creature coming through the wall, a direct threat to her life. Is that, is that cliffhanging enough for you? That's plenty. And again, that show does such a great job at building at little hints throughout that lead up to that final cliffhanger at the end of every episode. Bad things coming. Bad things coming. Okay. Well, which team wins? You've got Jordan's team with the front line of Game of Thrones, a caster of Silicon Valley, and the support of Stranger Things against my team of Breaking Bad, Fargo, and Dexter. Yeah, right. So which team wins in the fight of the greatest cliffhangers ever made? Uh, Only you can decide. Me? No, not you. (laughs) I'll decide right now. Did I say Jordan? (laughs) No, talking to you. And you can go ahead and and, uh, we'll tally them all up and and let you know on our Twitter. Uh, But for the next couple of weeks... If you tweet at us or mention it on Discord, tell us which one you think takes the cake. Wherever you like. And uh, it looks like we have another set of kind words strung together. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this time coming from Lila G. Thank you very much, Lila. Uh, You said, I love this podcast. Been slowly listening to all of your episodes on different platforms. Just to just to play the field, right? <laughs> See which one's better. The Batman versus Bane fight scene explained with D&D terms had me rolling. That's <laughs> that's awesome. It's fun to talk about pop culture as you can see. Well, and it's it really shows that once you immerse yourself in this hobby as we have and just let it fully and completely <laughs> consume you. Yeah, we're too far gone. <laughs> You start seeing movies and TV and all kinds of stuff through just D&D terms. And figuring out what you can steal from it and apply to your games. and Tabletop mechanics galore out there. When you notice my rules for this game can be adapted and can support any kind of dramatic scene that some of the best and most creative writers in the world can do, these games can support to tell that same story yourself around a table. Well, thank you very much, Lila. Yes, and keep supporting the show. We love your support so much, my goodness. So share these episodes with friends that also play. I gotta say, whenever I see comments on particular social media platforms where somebody says like, hey, how do I write horror really well? It always makes me feel greasy AF to be like, I have a podcast and uh, we did an episode on (laughs) horror writing. So we do see when you share a particular episode with a friend to help with a problem. And honestly, it comes off way better when it's coming from you. So by all means, keep sharing the show. And we hope that we can all get better together, which you can also do on our Discord if you want to come join us there. And you can also tell us who won and... Just say whatever you want to us uh, at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. Thanks Thanks for listening and make a weird stir fry with all the ingredients that I peppered throughout the episode. What? (laughs) 
That's what you were doing? Thanks, Will. 